Tri-Paste Pod presents an awkward audio adaptation of Mind Estate by Caleb Nelson. Chapter 2. The Grizzly. The ornate knocker from the large double doors of the building fell upon itself and echoed through the house time and time again with no response. I tried turning the handle. It swung open with a squeal. My eyes were met with darkness. Not empty. Filled with darkness. My eyes adjusted, but I pulled out my lighter anyway. Flicking it on, I saw some of the details of the entrance room. The furniture was old but the paint and the floorboards all seemed recently renovated. I didn't see a speck of dust on anything, but I heard nothing. The silence was dense, but not impermeable. Where were those voices coming from? I never expected anyone would be here. And to be honest, I couldn't have felt more relieved at the prospect of human companionship right now. It seems like they were coming from below me, from a staircase off to my left. I started down them. The stairs spiraled downward for what seemed like an eternity, as the voices became clearer, and then, before I reached the bottom, they stopped. The smell down here was putrid, fermentation and decay among other things. I saw two doors, one where I thought the voices had come from. I turned the handle and entered. You can't have returned so soon. What do you mean? Who are you? I could only see the man's back, and around him rows and rows of wooden casks. His head of dark hair had a bald spot on the top. He seemed to be inspecting one before I'd arrived. He turned around when I spoke. Ah, it is you. What a pleasant surprise. Please do come in. We have been expecting you. I am so excited to meet you. (laughs) The man was pretty unremarkable, except that his skin seemed strangely taut for a man of his age. Where there should have been wrinkles, there was only sallow and papery skin from his balding head to his thin lips and almost non-existent chin. Excited? Why does everyone keep saying that? What's going on? Who are you? Please, I must ask that you keep your voice down, friend. I was close to your father. You have the same exact face as him, you know? Same expressive face. Same troubled face. Why are you so anxious? Did his death affect you so? No, I just... It's just I... I really had quite the night. There are things out there in the night. Just dreadful things. Do you know? There are dreadful things out there in the day, too. I'm glad you made it here in one piece. Please, let's have a chat. Have a seat. Have a drink with me. He bared a smile that sent a shiver through to my core. He gestured to the two chairs and a small table before him. There were two full glasses already sitting there. I stared at him. I did not feel like sitting, but his offering seemed strangely comforting, so I sat. Who are you? Why are you acting so familiar with me? What are you even doing here? This is my father's place, is it not? Well, your father never took issue with us being here. Not until recently, that is. But he hasn't been of his right mind as of late. Still, he needed us. Us? Who is 
us. He picked up the two glasses that had been already been filled. Had he been waiting for someone? Had he been waiting for me? He handed one to me. It contained a crimson red liquid that seemed syrupy, almost thick in the low lighting. I didn't want to take the glass, but the man's insistence was almost intoxicating, his congeniality almost hypnotic. The glass felt surprisingly warm in my hand compared to the frigid cold of the room. <laughs> what do you even know about this place? You don't seem very well informed at all, my boy. What even brought you here? His tight-lipped smile continued to unnerve me, but his eyes held me transfixed upon our conversation. But I noticed myself without a lot more to say. I just decided to ask one question. So what am I doing here? We have a tradition among my people that when we share a drink together, we discover our natural bonds. We become one people. He completely ignored my question. Well, that sounds friendly and all, but what is this drink? I swirled it and it coated the walls of the glass. It's my own special blend. Oh, so sweet. I tapped it myself. Do you know the nature of your father's work here? No. No, I don't. That's part of the reason I'm here. He hasn't seen me in almost 30 years. How did he even achieve this fortune? Why would he leave me this place in his will? I'm just... I'm, I'm here to find the last pages. <laughs> this was not the laugh of a normal man, but something else entirely. It curdled the drink in my glass, and it made me cringe. You, my friend, have a lot to learn about your family. But I will say this. The will itself remains a mystery. We don't know why your father wrote this will. All we know is that you're here now, and we will find out together. Why do you keep saying we? You're the only person I've seen other than the man on the grounds. The wolf man. I swallowed hard and looked away. I wondered if we were even safe from those things in here. Oh, you met Patrick. No, you can't go in there. He's such a loyal companion and groundskeeper. He watches over the grounds of that pack of mongrels. I've never been one for their kind of savagery. I prefer the finer things in life. I still don't even know your name. How rude of me. My name is Sebastian. I've been watching over the place this week in lieu of your father's absence and the absence of his love. His love? Oh, he never told you then. He made a new family here with the lady of the house and her two sons. I, I don't believe you. He left me and my mother because he was so maligned towards having a family. There's no way he would adopt another. You're lying to me. Why are you getting so reactive, my dear boy? You mustn't let your emotions get the better of you. Now is the time to be strong. You should be happy. After your mother died, I should think that you'd be thrilled to learn you have a new family here, with us. How did you know my mother died? What did you bring me here for? I want answers. I'm looking for the missing pages of his will. I felt an overwhelming anger towards this man and his way of speaking. His words were riddled with games and he had yet to even show a bit of empathy toward me in my plight. Young sir, you have no idea what you've stumbled into. I'm going to have to ask you to remain calm. You've had such a long couple of days. He stood moving around my chair to stand behind me. He placed his hand on my shoulders. I wasn't particularly comfortable with this, but I couldn't bring myself to tell him to stop. I felt his breath in my ears as he lowered his head towards me. 
his grip tightened on my shoulders, keeping me from standing. He began to massage my neck. What? What, what are you doing? Feeling violated, I made to stand, but his hands pushed me down firmly. They felt skeletal, but unnaturally strong. Please don't fuss. Try to remain calm. I glanced at the mirror that faced us. His eyes seemed white, had they rolled in the back of his head. He looked up and smiled at me, that terrible toothy grin. His incisors elongated and razor sharp. He deepened his massage, lowering his head as he did. But I could feel the moisture from his mouth on my neck. He was muttering something in a language I didn't understand. Distant though the mirror was, I saw his eyes go black now, and then his reflection was gone. At this point, I knew the man missing from reflection was no man at all. I felt two sharp pains in my neck in quick succession. What? What are you, what are you doing? Had I said it? Or just thought it? The room swirled black, and all I felt was the vacuum of pain toward my head and neck. But I fought it. The room came swirling back, and I shouted once more, What are you doing? I broke free of his grasp and struck him across the face. A small drop of black blood dripped from his wound before it seemed to heal itself and appeared non-existent. Stop shouting, you fool. You'll disturb them. His whisper was violent. I looked around. Disturb who? What are you people? Suddenly, the cast lining the room began to burst open, and the contents began to spill out on the floor, seemingly in slow motion. It was blood. I knew it instantly. It flowed in thick and velvety around me. More and more began to burst. In a matter of moments, I was standing ankle-deep in the horrible liquid. Immediately, the man's demeanor changed. He was irate as he lunged for my neck. His hands gripped me, closing my windpipe. I shoved him, and his body felt frail to my hands. Still, he pushed towards me. He tightened his grip on my neck. Oh, you heathen, you wretch. How dare you come in here and try to destroy my life's work. You seem to insist, so I will send you to the hell you plainly crave. Harold! The next few moments were merely flashes as a burly, bald, monstrous man of uncanny size and strength stormed through the open door. He barreled toward me and slammed his shoulder into me, <coughs> into the wall. I felt a rib crack, and I crumpled to the floor. As I opened my eyes, I saw that I was hanging from the ceiling, staring at the floor. I was strapped upside down to some surface tilted at an angle so that my feet were elevated, and all I could feel was the blood rushing to my head. Strangely, the straps were loose, and I was flat upon the table. Gravity was not itself here. I tried to fathom how this was possible, as I noticed my surroundings. The flesh and bone dotted the floor below me. I saw hanging, lifeless figures all around. I felt sick. I couldn't breathe. Blood continued to fill my head. I looked to my right, and I was not alone. On the other surface, upside down from the ceiling, was the vampire, Sebastian's eyes piercing into me as we hung there. But there was no straps on him. He got up with a minor struggle, favoring the wound in his side. He stood with feet upon the ceiling with no concern of the gravity that should have sent him to the floor twenty feet below. He clung to the ceiling, walked about it with demonic ease, 
where his feet clawed into the ceiling itself. What are you gonna do to me? I couldn't hide the panic in my voice. Oh, sleep, my son. We can settle this in the morning. He touched my forehead, and his hands felt icy upon my head, where the blood had accumulated. Then he left my view. You can't just leave me here. You can't leave me here. Let me go. Please, let me go. The pain was intense, and once again, I blacked out. I don't know how much time had passed between that moment and the next, but now the room was right side up. I saw the same bodies hanging from the ceiling, but now the surface I lie upon was the floor, and the straps were loose enough for me to wriggle free from. It seemed I was in a butchery, a room filled with dismembered body parts from various creatures. They all looked the same without skin or hides or hair, but I know that I saw multiple human heads. I saw the twisted half-man seated there. I quietly wriggled free from the bindings on the table. I stood. In the center of the room, I stood. I felt so exposed as I scanned the room for something I could use as a weapon. I moved forward silently. There was a mop bucket in the corner. As I approached Sebastian, he spoke softly. Where I had expected he'd be paralyzed with fear, he seemed to almost bask in it. So you've come to kill me, then? He didn't even turn around, and he was still whispering. I hated it. It felt so... unnatural. Wait, what if I told you where the will is that you're looking for? Would that be an interest to you? I saw him turn white when I shoved the stake through his heart. He made a hissing sound from his mouth as he took two steps back with a twisted face of rage and pain. That will will be lost to you. It will never come to be. This will never be your domain. <coughs> I regained my bearings. My blood was pumping like a hammer on an anvil. What had I done? This man was obviously insane and unnatural, but did I just kill him? I looked down at my hands. Blood was black and foul and it seemed to almost irritate my skin. Now burning, it became unbearable as so it sizzled like acid. I searched the room for something to wash my hands and returned to the mop bucket, feeling immediate relief. When just then I heard a noise behind me, the entrance to this butchery. I looked toward the entrance of the room. And there, the psycho stood, monstrous in the center of the doorway. He moved forward silently now, with nothing but a bloodied rubber apron and jeans on. This man would kill me immediately, I knew. The pupils of his eyes were ready to eviscerate me and tear my carcass into several pieces. As he approached me, he reached for the meat cleaver on the table, never breaking eye contact with me. I ran further into the meat cutting room, and he set chase to me. I thought I was making care not to slip on the viscera spewed across the ground. But I slipped, and my chin hit the ground and I bit my tongue. I knew he'd be upon me in moments, so I squirmed across the blood-smeared floor. I felt his hands close upon my ankles, and I almost heard the wind of the cleaver carving through the air. Ah! A scream escaped my throat involuntarily as I narrowly avoided losing the lower half of my leg. I scrambled upon all fours as he wrenched the blade from the splintered floor. I hobbled to the freezer door in the corner. A blast of cold air reached my face as I pulled open the door and squeezing through, pulling the door shut behind me, just as his face reached a small square window, stricken with enraged lunacy. He pounded on the door. I searched for an alternate exit. Something. Anything. An overwhelming sense of doom plummeted from my heart to the bottom of my gut as I realized there was no exit. I look instead for a place to hide amid the hanging sides of meat. Behind a rack filled with hindquarters of some livestock, I crouched, barely able to see the rest of the freezer through the severed pieces of flesh. 
felt sick to my stomach before the door even opened. And I knew he had joined me in the freezer. All I could hear was his breath heavy on the cold wind of the refrigerator hum. He made it to the rack I hid behind. I could see his breath now filtering through the rack behind me. And then his breath was gone. I peeked through the racks. I saw the behemoth naked back of the butcher and I crept softly behind him. I knew I had one chance to end his life before he could turn around and end my own. I rounded up and it plunged a six inch blade into the back of his neck, nearly missing his spinal column. As I suspected, he turned and quickly tried to stifle the life from my body with his massive arms. He grabbed me, he threw me against the wall next to him. I couldn't breathe. And winding up the blade, he still held in his arm, blood draining from above his shoulder. He was on his knees when I tried to grab the knife from his neck and gave it its final resting home in his chest. Blood poured out of him, and while this man was clearly, clearly had been human, he, w he was deranged. He looked at me, not with fear or anguish, but simple blind anger and hatred. Perhaps even desperation. A longing to kill? I would never know. I left the freezer door and closed it behind me, leaning upon it. As I rubbed my tired eyes, I opened them to no relief. The figures upon the hooks began to extract the sharp metal from their bodies. Two men, two women, murdered and contorted by the grizzly butcher, naked and scarred, fell upon the ground and set their dull sights upon me. You've just been embarking on a journey through the mind of Samuel Watts. Thank you for listening to Mind Estate. Please like us on Facebook and Twitter at Mind Estate. Be sure to tune in for Chapter 3, The Unsettled.